Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Have you ever felt empty? This is a really deep question to ask, but sometimes, you know, when you have that moment of emptiness, that moment you feel something that is empty, um, there's always these moments, you know, maybe you're driving in your car as a student, maybe one day you were a student, you're driving in your car, this happened to me, and I'm driving and I feel that moment that, that it starts like pulling and pulling and pulling the car, and I'm like, oh no, it's now, and the car just, you know, co- course to an end, and as it was, just empty. Maybe emptiness for you is like this, you, you're getting ready for work, and You've got everything ready. You've got your cereal, your spoon, your napkin. You've got everything, the bowl's ready. Everything's ready. And the moment you lift that milk bottle, it's just too light. There's nothing in it. And emptiness is a real bad feeling. And I would go as far enough to say this is that This year has been really hard. This year has asked a lot from us as Christians. Maybe at this moment, you might be feeling a little empty. Well, we're going to go into a series for six weeks where we're going to be speaking about fullness, the fullness of God and how we can live a life filled with faith. We're going to speak about what it looks like when a Christian starts living a full life. Now, I know this is very optimistic and you've probably heard this from a lot of people. You know, you've probably seen people that say, no, you've got to be full of faith. And maybe you see people that are full of faith. You see some Christians walk their Christian life, living in faith, um, doing everything in faith. Everything they do is just so dramatic and epic. And you think to yourself, I want to be like those people one day. You know, people that are filled with faith. Now I want to come and say this series, we want to help you get to that point where we can be living in faith. I mean, when you think about faith and living fully in faith, it would be so great to live a life with never-ending confidence in God. I mean, there's this story of this lady called Nightbird. You've probably seen her on social media. She um, did an audition at America's Got Talent, and there was this amazing moment where she actually sang this song, a story about her life, and has this great story. So her story pretty much is this, is that um, she has cancer for a few years, has cancer for a few years now, different types of cancer, and she's been fighting this cancer, but she says that she's going to keep on going, that it does not matter. She's going to keep on going because she has so much faith in God and this absolutely broke my heart and she actually wrote this quote um, a while back and she says this I've had cancer three times now and I've barely passed 30 I believe that God can heal me in one instant I also believe that it's no good for him to withhold things from me So there was something God was growing in a field within me. And if God has pulled up all of these hardships too soon, it would have pulled up all these miracles that he did in my spirit. Wow. A lady that has been been fighting cancer for so many years doesn't see the, 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 the fact that God maybe hasn't healed her yet, but she sees the fact that God has done something in her spirit that she would have never gotten without the circumstance. I mean, confident in her life, not looking at the disappointment of the suffering and the pain, but actually looking at how God cares and how God intervenes in the pain. You see, we have to understand that, that it's not about our amazing beliefs that changes our lives. No, it's about amazing faith 
that's what changes our lives. It changes the way we live and the decisions we make in our lives. In this series, we want to dive into what it looks like when we have this faith. Now, there's this moment in, in the scriptures where there's two moments where Jesus actually gets amazed by people. He gets amazed. There's a moment that he, that he was amazed by people. I think like this would be a really cool story if I was a part of one of those stories, right? The moment that Brent amazed someone or the moment that you amazed Jesus. I mean, the son of God. And these, these two stories, they're kind of different, but it's two moments that Jesus was amazed. The first one was this, is he met this guy, the centurion. Now the centurion was part of the Roman army um, he understood authority and he understood our ranking works and he was, he was quite deep in the army of the Roman army. And he had a servant at home that was sick and he saw Jesus preaching and he went up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, will you heal my servant which is sick at home? And Jesus said, yes, I will definitely do that. And Jesus got up ready to walk. And then the centurion said something crazy. He said, no, no, Jesus, wait, don't come home with me. This, I know authority. I understand authority. I'm a man of authority. I know what it looks like. You don't have to come home with me. Do you know what? If you say that he's healed, I will know that he is healed because you have authority. And in a moment, Jesus said, your servant will be healed. And then he stopped them and said, you see the centurion? He has great faith. It actually says this in, in Matthew 8 verse 10. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said the following to him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Wow. Wouldn't that be great if God says that to you? <laughs> I haven't found anyone in Bloemfontein with such great faith. What was this great faith based on? Well, it was based on this one thing that the centurion understood that Jesus had authority, that he had authority, that Jesus was not just a, another one of the, the religious guys around him. No, no, he knew that this man had authority. He was the son of God. And because the son of God speaks, there is authority. He can have faith in that authority. You see, our faith is not based on the reaction of things. Our faith is based in the authority of God. It is a position that God has in our lives. You see, there's something about the authority of Jesus that gives us unshakable faith. The second story that we read on is not as great as the first one. The second one is where actually Jesus kind of travels back to his hometown while he's doing these miracles and ministering to people. And as he gets into his hometown, as we know, good old small hometowns have gossip. I mean, you hear that, you know, oh, Brent's back, you know, from Bloemfontein, the big city guy. You know, how's he doing? Oh, you see his car, his car's amazing. Oh, do you see his wife? Beautiful wife, by the way, she is beautiful. But I mean, gossip in little towns, that always happens, right? And we see this gossip uh, as Jesus walks into the town and he's busy healing people. And I, I believe they were going like, you know, isn't that Jesus, you know, Mary's son? You know, their brothers and sisters are most part of the community. Here. It's, it's Jesus. And he's walking around healing and preaching. Jesus, <laughs> come on. I mean, that's, that's Mary's son. It's like, he's not fancy or anything. How can they believe in? And then Jesus actually was amazed at this. He was amazed at their lack of faith, amazed at it because they didn't understand something. They didn't understand that Jesus was given a new position. He wasn't just Mary's son. No, he was the son of God. You see, something happens when we have unshakable faith. Where it comes from is when we firstly understand that Jesus is the object of our faith. 
There's something amazing that happens when we see Jesus as the object of our faith. The agenda that Jesus actually had on earth was to do this, is that we would become people of great faith. Not just to take away sin and, and bring reconciliation, which was a very important part of Jesus' walk on earth, but it was to bring us to people that we are filled with faith and living life with faith. Faith is an object. It's something we can see. It's difficult to have faith. Hope, hope is hoping that something would happen, right? Hoping that one day that thing will appear and hoping. But faith is, is tangible. Faith is something I can hold onto. Faith is an object. It's something I can see. I can put my hope onto something. There's a difference between hope and optimism, just by the way. Optimism is that thing of like, you know, everything's going to go well. You know, everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. But that's not true faith. Faith comes and says, it is someone I can hold on to. See, the best example I can give to you is this, is that you can have a lot of optimism, right? If you're flying in a plane, you're a passionate passenger in a plane, and you can have lots of optimism about how good the pilot is and that, but you've got to have faith in the pilot. You've got to have faith that the system's working. You've got to have faith that the engineer knew what he was doing when he built the plane. You've got to have faith that the ladies and the guys that are serving you are doing those little emergency exit dances, you know them, that they know what to do when the emergency actually hits. You've got to have faith in something tangible. And if we have faith in Jesus, that is something tangible. The centurion, he had faith in Jesus. Because Jesus was the object, the, the apple of the eye, I would almost say, of his faith. He would look at towards Jesus and know the authority that Jesus had. And he could place his faith on him. Jesus actually uh, teaches us in John 14 verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Wherever you are right now, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? He says this, for you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is saying, if you want to see God, Look at me. If you want to have faith in your situation, look towards me. What did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to show the true nature of God. Jesus came to show us what God is like. I mean, a lot of people speculate what God is like. I mean, a lot of us grow up with the wrong assumptions of God. Remembering growing up very religious in this fa the fact that if I do something wrong, it's like God punishing me. If something bad happens to me, it's because I did something wrong in the past and now God is punishing me, zapping me with lightning bolts, making these bad things happen to me. But that is wrong assumptions. Those are wrong pictures of God. Jesus came so that He could be incarnate God, that He could be God in the flesh and come and show us what God is really all about. Jesus came to fulfill something that God wanted to fulfill through him. So the best way to explain this is when we read through the Gospels, we actually see these stories. We read, um, for instance, one example is in John 9 where Jesus heals a man that was, that was blind. And he was healing this man that was blind and, and the people were asking questions. You know, they had this wrong image of God. They were asking this question, why is this man born blind, Jesus? Is it because of his sin? Probably because, you know, if they thought something's wrong with you, it's because you had sin. Is it because of his sin or is it because of his, you know, parents' sin? You know, the, the, the genealogy sin, the one that comes down, you know, from your parents and their parents and their parents' parents. And Jesus kind of 
they ask this question and Jesus is like, no, you're wrong. That is not what God is like. He's not gonna, gonna give you a sinful life because, or give you something that happened to you, like a pain or being blind or, or going through cancer or going through a rough time because He wants to punish you for a sin from the past. No, Jesus says that has been paid because of me. We do not live in that any longer. Another example that Jesus just kind of comes and he, he rattles the cage a little bit is this when, you know, the, 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 the very famous moment where he speaks about loving our enemies. Matthew 5, 43, it says, you have heard this said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he says, I say to you, you need to love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Those, um, so, that those uh, so that you may be children of the Father in heaven. You see, the beautiful thing here is what he's saying. He says, everyone knows to love your neighbor. Everyone knows to love your friend and your family member. And then when the enemy comes, we, we close off the gates, right? We hate them. We, we're against them. But here he's saying, no, no, no. I don't want you to just love your neighbor. I want you to love your enemy as well. Why does Jesus say this? Well, in Romans 5, later on, it, it actually shows us this picture. It shows us that Jesus loved us even though we were his enemy. He loved us even though we were sinners fighting against Him. Jesus chose to love us. And he's, he's saying to us right now, we need to love people just the same way He loved us. Even though they are attacking us, even though the world is throwing things at us, we need to turn around and love them. That is the ultimate picture of understanding what God is saying when it, when it comes to faith and when it comes to Him showing us who He really is. You say, if you want to be like God, if you want to know what God looks like, if you want to see who God is, then you have to start with Jesus and not with Genesis. <laughs> Genesis is going to show you the power of God and a bunch of different things. But if you want to know what God is like, the personality, the person, the creator God, you need to start with Jesus because He is God incarnate. I mean, Paul one of the guys in the Bible, a very famous guy, wrote half of the New Testament. And Paul actually said a bunch of cool things um, regarding Jesus. And I mean, you know, if you think about Paul, he grew up very religious. He grew up in the, in the Jewish tradition, understanding that. And, and he saw that the, the Christianity was actually like a Jewish cult. And he, he thought it was real bad. And so he started like fighting against Christianity. He literally would go around and imprison Christians and even try and kill them and because of their faith. He would go and be against God. And then there's this moment where he meets Jesus on the road of Damascus and he meets Jesus for the first time face to face and his life changes forever. It actually says this in 2 Corinthians. He's speaking about this and he says this. These are a, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus. What is he saying? He says all these the religious things we believe in, all these, these different spaces around us, these are all just little shadows of the true real thing that we can hold on to, which is Christ himself. And I want to maybe take a moment to, to take a step to say, you know, when you look at a shadow, a shadow is not the real deal, right? A shadow is just a picture of something that is real. And sometimes I think we put our faith in the shadow and not the object, not the real deal. Sometimes we put our faith in the shadow of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, maybe you've been living off of secondhand revelations, hearing your friends say how God spoke to them and you use that in a sense to yourself to say, you oh, God's speaking to me now a little bit as well, you know? 
And maybe you've been living out of how your parents or family members or, or friends have been saying that, wow, you know, I'm just experiencing God's love and His favor. And you're sitting there thinking, I haven't experienced anything. Maybe it's because you haven't taken the step to live out of a place of second-hand revelation to a first-hand revelation, to live out of the shadow to a place where you actually grasp the object, the person, Jesus, the real deal. You see, a shadow isn't incorrect. It kind of shows the outline you know, of the object really well. But a shadow is incomplete. And sometimes we want to build our faith on incomplete things. And I want to go as far to say sometimes we build our faith on a YouTube spiral. Yes, a YouTube spiral. You're probably watching this on YouTube, so this might be a part of your spiral at the moment. If it is, stop right now. Do not build your faith on a YouTube spiral of he said, she said, very interesting, very um, messed up type of things that they're trying to figure out around Christianity and a bunch of different spaces. Don't get lost in the nitty gritty of things. Get lost in the person of Jesus. That is when your life changes. And that's when Paul's life changed. I mean, he was so caught up in religion and different things. And is this a cult? Isn't it? What's wrong? What's right? He was so caught up in it until he met the person of Jesus. What do we see happen? His life radically changes forever. You see, when we look at relationship, and I think that's what we want. We all want relationship with Jesus. It's not a religious um, a system that's going to help us. No, it is a person and his name is Jesus. And if we firstly look at a relationship, if we want to have a relationship with Jesus, it starts with this one very small but big word, trust. Trust is the way we start this relationship. I mean, I grew up quite religious, you know, going to church and checking things out. And I, always, I was kind of living in the shadow of the real thing. And then I met Jesus for the first time and I saw the real deal Jesus. The one, not, not the shadow, the object, the, the real deal, the one I could feel and touch and engage with. And that's the thing that changed my life. He revealed the Father to me and He reveals the Father to us. And because of that, I now have trust in Him. Because of that, I have a relationship with Him. You know that every relationship has one currency, just one currency. And the currency is this, trust. Just trust. I mean, any relationship that you're in, a relationship without trust has no substance. Then it's just a, a good, you know, get to know each other relationship. It's not a relationship that is grounded in trust. It is when trust becomes part of our relationships that we are transformed in relationship. And it's in that I'm inviting you to say, would you start trusting God in your relationship? Would you start trusting Jesus in your relationship? So just to summarize that part real quick, is this pretty much this, is that God so loved the world that He wanted to let you know what He's really like. So then He sent Jesus because He is Spirit. He sent Jesus in His Son and He became flesh, flesh to reveal God to you. And because you can experience Jesus, you can be with Him, you can, through the Holy Spirit, have a tangible experience with God. Therefore, we can put our trust in Him because He's real. You see, mature Christianity, just by the way, mature Christianity asks for something more. This is the moment for us as Christians, you know, not to just be ones that drink milk and, you know, are babies in the room and crying and, and not really helping to society. This is the time where we start actually growing in our faith. Maybe it's going tough with you at home. Maybe it's in a place where you feel empty. This is when maturity comes into play. Maturity as Christians. And how does it start? Well, it's honoring to this one thing. It's understanding that you need to 
have faith in a person. I mean, have you ever heard someone say something bad about someone else behind their back and you're part of that conversation? You know, what's the most honoring thing you can do in that moment? It's probably to say, you know what, what you said about Abel, you know, I don't think that's true. I know Abel, he's a good guy. I think he's a really great guy. I don't think that's true at all. Because why would I say that? Well, it's probably because for years I've been spending time with this man. I've seen his faith. I've seen his love for his family, for the church, for everything around him. I've seen his relationship with God. And if someone was to say something bad about him, I would probably say that doesn't line up to how I trust him. (laughs) And the only reason I trust him is because I've seen and I've spent time with him and I've seen his life. And in the same way, we are to trust God. Why? Because we've spent time with God. We've put our faith in something that is tangible, not something that is a rumor that has been made up or an assumption that's been brought to the table. See, maturity maturity does this. It challenges us. It challenges us with this issue, a very difficult situation, to understand this, that God is with me and for me. It takes a mature Christian to stand before a situation, a situation where where cancer might be hitting, a situation where you're worried about COVID-19 at this moment, the scales and the different types of, you know, growth we've been seeing and and so worried about the new, uh, is is the vaccine going to work or not? Or maybe it just gets, you know, more fuzzy and fuzzy as we go. Finances at this moment, is my business going to pull through? A different space is looking at those things and saying, I know God, (laughs) I've spent time with God and I can trust God through this. That is when maturity comes into play. You see, it's when we're not looking at the situation, (laughs) but we look at the one that controls every situation. It's not when we look at our now, but look at Him who is forever. That is when we have faith in God. You see, if we want to be people that are inspiring and forgiving and loving and step up and and do not deny this reality of pain, but go through it hands on, we need to have faith. And faith that is not just, you know, thought about, faith that is tangible, faith that is hands and feet, something that we can move into. And next week, we'll be speaking about making your faith practical and what does that look like? But we need to understand that faith starts with an object and this object is Jesus. This person is Jesus, the object of our faith, the number one revealer of our faith. And you need to ask yourself this question. If you want a faith like that, do you want it? Do you want a faith that is unshakable? It starts with looking towards Jesus. We don't believe in a religious system. We believe in a person and his name is Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2, explains this so well in a nutshell. We'll be ending off with that. It says, Therefore, since we are such great crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside the hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. He says, we're in, a, we're in a big group right now. We're in a massive group. Let's quickly lay down the sins and the things that ensnare us. Why? Because we want to be accountable to one another. And then he goes on to say, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. He says, listen, we need endurance for this race. It's not a sprint. Figuring out sin and, and conquering that, it's not a sprint. It is an endurance race that we need to get to and then he goes on how do we fight this fight how do we run this race how do we have faith in our deepest darkest circumstances how are we filled in our emptiness and he says these beautiful words in verse 2 keeping your eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith and that's it (laughs) 
It's keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. If you want to see your faith life grow, if you want to see your faith be one of those faiths that people talk about, it starts with fixing your eyes on Jesus. It goes on to say that there was this joy that laid before Jesus, that He knew that He he entered the cross despising the shame, despising the pain that Jesus went through. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. What is it saying? It's saying Jesus understands pain. (laughs) Believe me, He does. He really does. He experienced pain. So if there's anyone that understands your pain, that is Jesus. And He endured His pain for you so that you could have life and life in abundance. So you can have faith in Him. All you need to do, friends, is fix your eyes on this glorious and victorious Jesus. I'm going to pray for you. God, as we are diving into the series where we are empty, we are stepping into the space empty, I pray, Lord, that in the series, in this day, today, Father, that you would start filling us up. Holy Spirit, that you would fill up the people of God, that they would run the race and have endurance for it. And that this would be our focus. Not the fact that we we manage our time better maybe or we pray harder, but it would be this, that we look upon Jesus, the perfecter and the pioneer of our faith. That we look towards you, Jesus, and we would know that whatever we go through, wherever we are, good times or bad, great situations or the worst ones we've been in our whole life, I pray, God, that we would fix our eyes upon you, Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. Because of that, we can have faith in you, Lord, and we know that you are good. Amen. Here at Doxadeo Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoyed today's message.